Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I'm Greg, and we got some exciting news today. So, uh, this actually just popped up about three hours ago on all the news feeds, but um, basically yesterday, let me bring up the article here. Yesterday, Reggie Fizeme had come out and said, "Don't pay scalpers. Stock has been dramatically increased for the Super Nintendo Classic." So he was talking to the Financial Times, and he said that I would strongly urge you not to overbid on NES Classic. On any auction sites, you shouldn't have to pay more than $79.99. So that was kind of interesting. So all of a sudden, he just came kind of out of nowhere and was like, hey, don't pay the scalpers. Now, we all kind of knew that the Super Nintendo Classic was going to have more stock than the NES Classic. That was said already. That was kind of a given. But, you know, you, you don't really trust that, right, until you actually see them in stores. Now, with him actually coming out and saying this, I think that means that they're going to make a lot more. Like, they feel strongly about that. So, moving on from that then, so then just uh, this morning, Nintendo actually released, like, an official press release saying that Nintendo's working to supply uh, two highly sought-after classic consoles. So, while the Super Nintendo Classic was scheduled at the end of 2017, they will continue well into 2018 due to incredible demand. More Super Nintendo Classics will launch on September 29th than all NES Classic shipments combined last year. So they're saying more at launch for the Super Nintendo than all year for the NES Classic. And then, out of nowhere, Nintendo just announces that the NES Classic is coming back. They're putting it back into production in the summer of 2018. Well, that's awesome. So anybody who missed an NES Classic now will be able to get one. Uh, I'm not... The, my only concern is there were a lot of rumors about the N64 Classic coming out next year, and there weren't really any, obviously, any solid information about that, but they had shown the little icon showed up, little 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 things that make you think it might have been possible. So you have to think if they're doing the NES Classic restock next year, are they going to hold off on the N64 one, or are they going to release that later in the year, have the NES Classic restock in the summer, and then the spring will still be all the Super Nintendo Classic restocks? I don't know, that, that, that's kind of strange. Again, not a big deal. I think it's really cool. Uh, the NES Classic, while I, it has a lot of shortcomings, personally, like with the short cords and with, um, you know, the, the limited game so you can't buy more, it was still a really neat device. And it was something that a lot of people really wanted. And it was actually funny. It was meant more for the casual fan. So unfortunately, making it limited like that, it, it, the only person you hurt was the casual fan who kind of wants to support you, right? Uh, not to mention that there aren't a lot of hardcore fans. Like me personally, I, I, I bought one because I love the fact that it's official Nintendo merchandise. I just thought it was really cool. You know, it comes, it, it's an emulation device, but it comes in a box with a Nintendo seal of quality. Like something like that's really cool to me. And the packaging was reminiscent of the original Nintendo packaging. There was just a lot of cool stuff. It was a cool piece to me. That's why I wanted to have one. And um, so as much as it's been fun, you know, buying and selling these things and watching something that you own be worth a lot of money, I think it's just better that we're going to have everybody get one that they want. You know, everybody who wants one should have one. And so first of all, I want to say congratulations to Nintendo for like listening, you know, and adapting. They they could have been very, you know, staunch in their stance and said, you know, what, we're not going to do anymore. We did it. It was a limited run. That's it. We're done. But they're clearly listening to their fans saying, you know, and obviously money talks as well, but they're listening to their fans saying, man, you know, there was a lot of demand for this. We dropped the ball. We can fix it by just throwing it back into demand. And then they can also, they're doing twofold by this. By saying there's going to be more NES Classics next year, they just destroyed the scalper's market for the Super Nintendo Classic 
because they're telling people right now, anytime we want, we can we can remake these. So if the Super Nintendo Classic sells out and it's sold out and people are trying to triple and quadruple the value on eBay, nobody should buy those knowing that at any time Nintendo will flip the Switch back on. That's what they're proving by bringing the NES Classic back, which is awesome. Um, now, the only a couple things I'd like to see, I guess, is I'd like to see the... Um, maybe the packaging be a little different and not necessarily like a greatest hits or something, but wouldn't it be cool to see like the NES classic edition come out with like a different style box, like just a different color box. Cause here's the smart thing about that. I would buy another one most likely. So you'd get the people who already own one to maybe buy another one. And this would be really crazy. What if you just threw one more game on there? What, what if, imagine something this, what if they put mother one on there? So like the original earthbound earthbound zero, what if they put that on there? Earthbound Origin, whatever you want to call it, right? So what if they put that on there? Oh my God, everyone would have to buy another one again. So there's some things they could do. And since it's coming next summer, that makes me think that they have something like that planned because it's not like they're just putting what they already have back into production. That shouldn't take that long. But And, and, and you could argue maybe they're doing it because the Super Nintendo Classic, they don't want to take away from that this summer by having two Classic Editions out for Christmas. But first of all, I think they'd both sell. I don't think there's any problem there. But it might be because they're picking next summer to redo it, they might be doing some changes and alterations to it. I mean, it'd be super cool, especially maybe if they threw on like five or ten more games. Oh, man, that would be so awesome. And I think that'd be really good for them to be able then to double dip their customers and get them to buy another one. Now, as a customer, <laughs> I feel kind of like that would suck because I have to buy another one. But I would buy another one, as you can see from me geeking out about it a little bit here. Um, so the... Uh, the only other thing I thought was a little interesting was that uh, Reggie talked about the... Let's take a look here. I want to get this right. Okay, so Reggie talked about why the NES Classic was so limited. And he said that it was based on other companies releasing retro systems that didn't they didn't anticipate it doing well. Now, that kind of irks me because he also said that the shortage wasn't their fault. And so there's like a part of me that, that says, I, I wish Nintendo would just would just come out and say, look, we didn't think it'd be that popular, even though, again, I don't know how they couldn't know it would be that popular, but fine. So they're, they're claiming ignorance here, fine. But for him to blame it on the success of other release systems, that really doesn't make sense to me. Because if you look at it, those Atari flashbacks and those Sega Genesis consoles by AT games, like those really crappy ones, those sell a ton. The Genesis sold a crap load, and then the flashback, they made like seven different versions because it was selling. They did a Coleco flashback now. They have, I mean, they got a ton of stuff. So for them to look at those and say they didn't sell well, so they didn't think theirs would sell well, I mean, Nintendo, you have to know you're the king of retro. So how did you think yours wouldn't sell better than that, first of all? And second of all, you're an officially licensed product that's going to run 10 times better than that crap that they put out. You know, so so that I don't like. I don't like how, uh, you know, Reggie was just kind of, you know, basically blaming the, the market, saying that he didn't, you know, they, they made the decision. Now, again, that could have been something that maybe in Japan they made that decision because in Japan, those things probably don't sell very well. So maybe a, a, the these retro systems didn't sell well in Japan. And that was a Japanese company decision company wide, um, which begs the question then is Nintendo of America starting to get a little more pull with its American crowd? So are they able to say, look, I understand if this item doesn't sell in Japan, 
but in America, it's huge. Let's let's do something in America that we may not do in Japan. And Nintendo, it's notorious for how um, you know Jap Japan focused it is first being a Japanese company. Uh, but maybe now they're starting to learn like, hey, this Western market is just as big and we have to play it differently. Uh, and I think that's kind of what you're saying with these uh, artificial shortages that they do, like with the pre-orders for the Switch, pre-orders for the Classic, and then the Amiibo shortages and stuff. Um, again, not first shipment Amiibo. We know that those were short because Nintendo really didn't believe they would take off, and I think that's actually fair. You know, you're releasing like a toy little figure that was compatible with a system that was kind of not selling great at the time was the Wii U. So, you, you know, you want to be a little reserved. Um, so now you go to nowadays though, there's still a few Amiibo that come out and their pre-orders are sold out quickly and they're doing limited prints of them and they're doing retail exclusives, a lot of weird stuff there. But, um, part of the reason that all makes sense is because Nintendo's strategy, again, in Japan, Amiibo weren't selling super well. So now maybe we're going to see them just kind of just just turn the corner a little bit on the U.S. market. I'd like to see that anyway. I mean, maybe that's just wishful thinking on my part, but I sure hope so. Uh, uh, so so that's interesting. Uh, one of the things they said was that the Super Nintendo Mini will also be continually uh, stocked into next year. Uh, they said all the way through 2018. Now, the NES Classic technically got shipments all the way up until April of 2017. So just April of last year is when the NES Classic finished. So I don't think that's really a surprise to anybody. But the, if they keep pushing out throughout the whole year, I don't see them. I don't think there's a problem with having three SKUs, an NES, a Super Nintendo, and an N64 Classic. I don't think there's anybody who would buy an NES Classic and then say, man, I really want the Super Nintendo Classic, but I bought the NES Classic, so I'm not going to buy it. I just don't see that being anybody. In, in the world kind of making that decision i mean monetarily speaking maybe but not not like an active choice same with the n64 like the the nes and super nintendo crowd is very different from the n64 crowd i see that a lot in my store like you you see people who are diehard nintendo diehard super and diehard 64 but they're not always the same people a lot of times like you have people going for complete n64 collections and just love 64 but they don't go back to nintendo they might dip back into super nintendo but if they grew up with the 64 they may not have any attachment to that um i don't have any attachment to the older atari stuff because i grew up playing the nes so i have i have a love for nes and up but i don't like to go backwards to the systems i didn't have as a kid which, which is a really telling when it comes to the power of nostalgia and all that. Um, but anyway, uh, this is all good news. Nintendo listening, but also understanding that they have a lot of money. Um, the real question then is, uh, are the scalpers, is the price going to crash now? Or is it going to crash when it actually comes out next year? Um, you'd like to think now with the news coming out of it being re-released that we're going to have a bunch of people flooding the market with theirs now and the price is just going to tank, which I'm okay with. I actually have two extras that I was sitting on in my back room at the store just thinking, well, maybe in 10 or 20 years they'll be worth a couple thousand bucks. That obviously won't be true anymore. Um, so now I can just kind of put them on the shelf at MSRP and just have it be a nice day for somebody. You know, uh, like I never bought them with the intention of making money off of people that wanted one to play. Now it was always for me, like a way to be a collectible later. I collect a lot of stuff like that. And I don't think that makes me a scalper. Hopefully you guys don't think ill of me because of that, but I like to buy stuff that I think might be worth a lot of money in the future. Not necessarily like I don't buy it today to sell it tomorrow, like an, a limited item that I know I can flip quick. You know, I try not to do that. Um, 
especially at my store, because I've said this before, but you get a lot of flack for that. You get a lot of kickback on that. Like the day the NES classics, um, like months after they were coming out, but they were really scarce. They were selling for about 150 online. People were coming into my store and asking how much I'd pay for them. And I was like, well, this is a really tricky subject. I said, because if I pay you a hundred bucks to sell it for 150, you're happy, but then I put it on the shelf at 150 and everyone thinks I'm the scalper. Everyone thinks that I bought that for 60 bucks and then is trying to make 150, you know, sell it for 150 as opposed to when I was just a secondhand seller that paid good money for it. You know, I'm not the bad guy in the situation. I paid good money for it. And I mean, I don't think the guy who sold it to me would be a bad guy either. I don't really think there's any bad guys here. I think the only issue I have is when people go, well, one, people that use botters to buy multiples, like tons of them. And people who go and stand in line with like four of their kids and they're like, oh, we're all from different households. We all want to buy one and, you know, snatch up five and then they keep one and then sell the rest for profit. Like like that, I agree with, like that's egregious. And I guess that's what you would would be valid, you know, validly called scalping but a lot of people don't do that and a lot of people will buy two and then buy one to keep and buy one to flip um i don't know how i feel about that i guess that's kind of the same thing but that's a little less egregious to me like that's just someone trying to pay off the device they just made but again whatever uh i think it'd be cool if the price does crash back down to normal i can just put them on the shelf at the normal price and someone will walk in and be like holy crap this is super cool um, but again, that's something to watch. So who knows what's going to happen with the price on these things. Um, I did recently just buy one from somebody. Uh, I think I probably paid a hundred bucks for it. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Hopefully I can sell it for a hundred while the price is dropping and then we'll just see what happens. Um, but it is a year away. That's the difference too. So the price might not drop before Christmas this year. It might start dropping next year. Uh, as interest wanes, I mean, the Super Nintendo Classic might have dropped the price on it anyway, as people that felt burned by the NES Classic wanted to get the Super, or or they wanted an NES Classic, but they'll take a Super and stop fretting about not having an NES Classic. So it, it, either way, awesome. Um, there's also supposed to be a Nintendo Direct tomorrow, so hopefully I'll get to watch that and then do a video on that uh, for you guys right away. But I thought this was pretty cool. I, I'm happy with Nintendo doing this. It makes sense monetarily for them customer service wise for us. And the big thing is they're telling us about it. You know, they're not just all of a sudden next summer going to say, you know what? Boom. NES classic back in stock. No, they're not pulling any of that funky stuff. They're just, gonna, they're coming right out and saying it now, which like I said, strategically makes sense because they want people to make sure that they wait for the super Nintendo classic. If they are sold out day one, which I think they will be, it'll sell out and it'll be a little bit of a shortage during the Christmas season because it'll be a hot item. So because of the hot item status, it'll, it'll be something that people have to have and it'll be a little harder to get, but they want to make sure then that people aren't going to eBay to buy them. Just wait because they're going to be pushing tons of quantities to the store, which I think is great. So good on you, Nintendo. Thank you for finally understanding what we want as customers. <laughs> so with that being said, everybody, um, I had some other podcast pieces I did actually earlier in the week. So if this podcast seems a little disjointed, it's because there was some really big news that came out earlier in the week, and I did some stories on that, like the L.A. Noir remaster, which is the next story I'll, I'll put up here, and then followed by this uh, PewDiePie uh, disaster with him using the N-word um, like an idiot, and then uh, subsequently, though, a game developer studio threatening to use DMCA takedowns as a weapon against him. So if this seems a little disjointed, basically what I'm going to do after this you hear is I'm going to edit 
those in to this podcast and make it all part of one podcast. So that way you'll we'll still get the hour worth of content all still be there. There just won't be as like seamless as it normally is. Um, it's not something I really want to do going forward. It's just seemingly how it worked today just because of how much news came out earlier in the week. Normally I would just talk about it again, but since I already covered them ad nauseum, uh, I'd like to just kind of splice those in. So you may have already heard the other parts of this podcast, um, but that's kind of how this week kind of went just because so much news broke that I want to get out there faster. It's, it couldn't just wait a couple of days before I could get the videos up. Um, but without further ado, uh, here's like the rest of the podcast. Uh, and then I'm going to hop on after those stories are over and kind of thank everybody as always. Um, so like I said, if it seems a little disjointed, uh, here's where we're coming up with the, uh, with the rest of these stories. And uh, I came across a story today. This is outside the normal podcast uh, because I came across a story and it kind of got the wheels turning about something that's been bothering me for quite a while. And I wanted to bring it up and I've always been kind of wanting to put it together and like put my thoughts down about it. And then I finally like this story is I think kind of the one that finally broke it for me and made me actually look deeper into it. Uh, so the the big news that came out today is that L.A. Noir is being uh, re-released for the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One, along with the Nintendo Switch, uh, and they're coming out with L.A. Noir the VR case files for the HTC Vive, so a VR version of L.A. Noir. And so I look at that, and my initial reaction is, oh, I guess that's kind of cool, you know, bringing up bringing back another game for a system. And then I get, like, then I start to, like, on the surface, that's where that is, and then I start to think, wait a minute, this no no this this is bad like why why are they spending so much time and resources on re-releasing old games you know like like i really respect as much as i'm more of a sony guy as you may uh, know from me already i i respect what microsoft's doing with their backwards compatibility in fact i'm very disappointed that sony hasn't tried to do something like that especially since every sony console was backwards compatible initially up until the ps4 obviously the ps3 they stripped out ps2 backwards compatibility but every PS3 had PS1 backwards compatibility, which was great. PS4, nothing. I was really disappointed by that. Um, obviously, developers seem, though, not to care. Because all the developers that had all these huge hits from the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 era are now re-releasing them on the PS4. Now, not everyone who does this is as egregious as everyone else. I look at this whole situation, and I say there's some cases that can be made for remakes and remasters, and some cases that cannot. Personally, I feel like Ellie Noir came out with a complete edition on PS3 and 360. Why would we need it again on PS4? Now, there's always going to be the argument that, oh, this person hasn't played it yet. These person, these people haven't experienced it yet. The fact that it's coming out on the Switch is pretty cool because that actually could open up the game to a whole bunch of other people that haven't played it. And unfortunately, as of the recording of this, they have not announced a price for it. If I had to guess, this game is going to be $59.99. That's what I really have a problem with. It really, really irked me when Bethesda re-released Skyrim for $60 on Xbox One and PS4. An update that if you already owned the PC version was technically free because all it was was a graphical update. Now, part of my issue with that is when you talk about development costs for a game, imagine how long it took to make Skyrim. All the assets had to be created, this world had to be built, bugs had to be found and then left ignored because Bethesda doesn't fix any bugs. And then you had to do all of that. And then you get the game out, you do marketing, you do all this other stuff. And then boom, your game costs 60 bucks. After so many years, you recoup that money. You made a good game. People paid a lot of money and bought it. You earned money for it. It was great. Everyone's happy. Why is it then when you do a re-release 
for PS4 and Xbox One, you charge the exact same amount of money for a game that you already had all of the work done for. This is like, in my opinion, the very definition of cashing in. You could release that game at $20 or $30 because the development cost has to be at least one third or one half of the development cost that went into the original game. Obviously, there's going to be costs involved with ports and refining, and there's obviously cost involved with packaging and creating the physical discs, server space to hold the digital copies people are going to download. I'm not denying any of that. But why is it that they think they can charge full price for a game that they already charged us full price for to recoup those initial design choices? Now, with these remakes, it makes no sense at all that that we are basically paying for their costs again when we already paid for it once. T- technically, not everyone paid for it once, but you know what I mean. Like the game was already paid for once, so why are these remakes coming out and charging the same price? Well, quite frankly, it's because they can. That's really disappointing to me because obviously, games like Grand Theft Auto Five, Skyrim, they're incredible games. So of course, someone's going to go, man. You know, I don't really want to hook up my ps3 and my ps4 if i can get a ps3 game on ps4 i'll just buy it on ps4 again and, and, and i kind of understand that like I, I i can understand where people are coming from but they're taking advantage of us and that's one thing you might always see in a lot of my videos when i come out ranting against something is that i'm always going to be ranting against things that are anti-consumer and things that i feel like are taking advantage of us as customers and this is one of those things i really feel like they're taking advantage of us with these full price games now that one's bethesda one's rockstar so it's not even like it's one company that we can just boycott and take advantage of or let, you know, that we can boycott and then not let them take advantage of us. I mean, it's it's becoming a regular thing that's wholly accepted. And so I saw this and, and I'm like, man, I really don't like this. I, it really bugs me. It really irks me. L.A. Noir is a good game. OK, let's just get that out of the way. I really enjoyed L.A. Noir. I like the game. I never finished it. So there's a part of me that says I'd like to go back and play this again. But you can get this game at my store used on PS3 or Xbox 360 for $5. So now, to be fair, that's not the version with all the DLC. You can get that version, I think, for $15 or $20. Why would we pay an extra $40 just to have this game available on the current console? Like, are the graphical updates going to be that impressive? Not really. I mean, yes, you'll notice a difference if you look at them side by side, but L.A. Noir was already a fantastic looking game. So what more are we expecting out of it, right? So it got me frustrated and I looked at that and then I started to think about all these other remakes that came out. So then you've got some really mind boggling obscure ones, right? So out of nowhere, Bulletstorm gets remade for PS4 (laughs) and I'm like, Bulletstorm? Like that game you can get also used for PS3 and 360, for five bucks in my discount bins at my store, actually price slashed down to three dollars because we're overstocked on them. So why did that game even get who greenlit that game? Who looked at their past library? Now it's it's published by Epic. So maybe Epic just had it laying around and was like, let's do it. There was, you know, you know, Bold Storm was a good game, let's put it out. Okay, I guess that one just makes no sense to me. Then we get things like the Dishonored Definitive Edition, which was the Definitive edition that was on PS3, like the one with all the downloadable content, re-released on the PS4. Okay, I I guess. Like, is is are they really just making this game for people that may not have had a PS3? Like, I, I have a hard time believing that people who have PS4s and Xbox Ones did not have PS3s and 360s. It, it's 
we're getting to the point now where the people buying these consoles aren't first-time game buyers. Now, with the Switch, I can make that argument that a lot of these people, it's me the first time they get experience with these games. They may not have a PC. They may not have what you would have called like a main console, like a PlayStation or an Xbox. So for Switch people, it's really cool that they get to play Skyrim and they get to play L.A. Noire. And, you know, but then again, I go back to how how much abuse that I feel like this is, right? And again, we vote with our, our wallets and our purses, right? So we vote with our money. If you don't like acts like this, we shouldn't buy them. But again, not all of them are egregious. Like, like I really don't, I really don't enjoy what Rockstar is doing here. And I didn't like it with Grand Theft Auto either. Same sort of concept. Now they have name power with that game, so they can pull that off. So they did. Um, and that, and that doesn't even get into the whole thing that, I start to worry that are are these things like, are these projects taking away from like new projects? You know, you know, like we always talk about how there's too many sequels and too many, you know, like there's not enough originality in games. Is that because, well, that's because they're playing it safe. Are they playing it safe here and re-releasing a game that they know is only going to cost a fraction of what it cost originally make, but will make them more money than it costs them just to port it out. And, and to, to quote-unquote remaster it for this new system, right? So that, that really frustrates me quite a bit. And then we go back, <clears throat> excuse me, we go back to Skyrim. Talk about that same sort of thing. Grand Theft Auto, they can get away with it. These are high-profile games. And then sometimes you get these weird ones like Bulletstorm and, and uh, even Dark Souls 2, which I love Dark Souls 2, but that came out with like their their definitive edition came out on on uh, PS4 and Xbox One with all the DLC and everything. And that was the only way you could get the DLC on disc, I believe. No, no, they did that for PS3 360, so I'm even wrong there. So I, I have a problem with all of that. And some, like I said, some games are more egregious than most. Some games are okay. And a lot of these games that came out, not Skyrim so much, but Grand Theft Auto, that came out during the transition period. So like you had games like Last of Us, that came out on PS3 and then the PS4 released shortly after. So like, well, let's put it on PS4 as well. Make sure that we get to cover our bases. Now that game is a little less egregious because it was only $49.99 when it came out. So at least Naughty Dog recognized and Sony recognized that this was a game that had already come out and already had a portion of those, those um, costs absorbed by the original selling of the game. Like why, you know, they didn't have to sell it for full price. Same thing with like the uncharted collection. That makes sense because they were coming out with the fourth one only on PS4 and you had people that maybe hadn't played the first three Uncharted but didn't have a PS3. So you want people to play the trilogy before going to that. And honestly, I believe the trilogy, unless I'm wrong, was $39.99. So you're getting three games for 40 bucks. That's one thing I really, really don't have a problem with at all is when you put like a collection of games together. So on the Microsoft side, things like the Rare Replay, no problem with that. Things like the Halo Collection, I think that's awesome. Put a bunch of Halo games on a disc, that's awesome. Then there's some that do a little bit of both, which are like the two Batman games came out. And I want to say that was also 50 when it came out. And so you're getting two remastered Batman games for 50 bucks. Okay. I mean, that's not ridiculous. It's still like a, a, a port and a remaster or whatever, but it is at least a better deal than them charging. Like, like could you imagine if they came out with a, a remastered Arkham City and were like, it's 60 bucks because it's got all the DLC and everything in it. Like, they didn't do that. In fact, like Warner Brothers Interactive released the two games together for 50 bucks. You know what I mean? Like that seems fair. Like there was obviously cost involved in porting it. They still sold it to make a profit, obviously, because that's what they're in business for. But they sold it at a profit that was reasonable within what it cost them to make that device. They weren't, again, how I feel we're getting taken advantage of. So 
you've got stuff like that. You've got the Bioshock collection, which is kind of the same situation. It's like, okay, well, this is a collection of games. I believe that one was 60 when it came out, but there's a collection of games. Okay, still don't love it, but it's a better deal than paying 60 bucks for the same game you paid $60 for just a couple years ago. Now, some of these are what really starting to bother me, though, is when they're coming out. Again, the transition period from PS3 to PS4, Xbox 360 to Xbox One, the transition period, you had a lot of games coming out either for both, or they came out in the first one, then came out with like a, a definitive edition for the second one. That, I'm okay with that. That makes sense because you're trying to reach as many customers as you can. But like L.A. Noir, L.A. Noir, I mean, this game, this game came out... Let me just double check it here so I don't get these facts wrong. I remember playing, I want to say 07, is that right? Uh, it was released, okay, in 2011, excuse me. Um, so this is now six years later. They're like, ah, yeah, 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 let's let's release it six years later. <laughs> let's just put it on new systems. Why is that? Because they know that they can pay a little bit of money to port it and sell it for full price. Now, again, maybe they'll come out with this and it'll be 20 bucks, and I'll eat my words and I have no problem doing that and I'll I'll apologize to them. I will I will pray forgiveness from the rockstar gods but that's not going to happen you know this game's gonna be 60 bucks you you know it like i'd very surprised if it's not 60 at least 40 at least 40 most likely 60 plus there's a switch version so they're the switch version you know it's gonna be 60 because you got the nintendo sales tax on there the nintendo tax cartridge tax on there um but it got me thinking so I came across a list, and all credit deserved, I came across a list that Game Informer did late last year, where they were talking about all of the remasters coming out. And I was like, okay, well, this is, you know, I, I can deal with this. Like, let, let's take a look at it, you know, and I want to kind of go through these almost one by one and kind of get my take on them, you know. And, and so if, if you're, my rant about remasters is essentially done. So if you want to bounce, you can bounce or just kind of get my take on these games. Um, because one of the things I want to talk about is, Capcom has been really crazy about re-releasing a ton of games. All the Resident Evils got re-released on PS4, and uh, like all of them, I think it's 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 well, they did technically the remaster collection, which was forty bucks, which was zero and one. Awesome pack though, and it's twenty bucks a game. Who cares? Resident Evil four, five, six all came out twenty bucks a piece. Dead Rising one and two twenty bucks a piece. I can deal with that. I can deal with getting an upgraded version of a game that I've already bought at a discounted price. That makes sense to me. Now, if they had released Resident Evil, if they had released Dead Rising 1, or let's let's say, yeah, Dead Rising 1 remastered on PS4 for 60 bucks, never would have bought it. Not even close. Wouldn't even have come close. Um, so let's go down this list real quick. And this is in no particular order, but they, uh, the Ratchet and Clank. Well, that was a complete rebuild of the original game. I'm okay with that. Plus, it was to tie into a movie. I personally have never been a Ratchet and Clank fan anyway, so I wasn't going to buy it. But I understand where they're coming from with that. That was a game that had to be rebuilt from scratch, re um, assets recreated from scratch. No problem with that. Resident Evil 6, terrible game. I didn't like Resident Evil 6 at all. I thought it was pretty horrible, but it was 20 bucks. So if you like Resident Evil 6, you'd want to do that. Some of these other remasters too, like... Um, Day of the Tentacle. This is like a, 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 a wickedly old game that's incredible. So I don't mind remasters of that at all. Like, of course, give us access to games that are like 30 years old. You know, of course, that's awesome. Is it 20 years old? I don't know, 20 or 30, whatever. Uh, you've got Shadow Complex remastered. Now, this was a, a, an indie game. This is actually one of my favorite Xbox Live games back in the day. It's a Xbox Live game. It was only on Xbox. I don't even think it was on PC. So I was glad to see this come out and especially come to PS4 so that more people could play it. Sort of a problem with that. Um, uh, Twilight Princess HD. Uh, I mean, the the Wii is especially, the Wii U and the Switch is a little bit of a different story, mostly because a lot of people didn't buy the Wii U. So it makes sense that Nintendo's going to go back to their library for the Switch. 
but I agree, like things like Mario Kart 8 being 60 bucks, even re-released with all the content that was extra, eh, still feels egregious. Don't really like it. Twilight Princess HD, I think they bundled this with an amiibo too, and so they made it like as as awful as possible. Um, love the game, but I, I just don't see why that had to be ported and remade. Again, it came out though on the Wii U because the Wii U didn't have any games. So Nintendo's like scrambling for, for good games to come out for it. Of course, you're going to go to your, your back pocket, which is Legend of Zelda. Um, next one, Heavy Rain. Awesome PS3 game. Then they remastered it and put it on PS4. Uh, okay. I actually have a really cool collector's list. When I was in Europe last year, I bought the two-pack of Heavy Rain and Beyond Two Souls. was physical on disc there. We never got that here. It was 40 bucks. I'm like, okay, so I'm paying 20 bucks again for each game that I love, but I get a physical copy of a two-pack that's not available in the United States. I'll go buy that. That's As a collector, that's a cool thing to me. Um, then you go into like, there's more Resident Evil stuff. So Resident Evil four, they did a two pack of the Marvel ultimate Alliance bundle from PS two and PS three. So technically it's PS two, PS three and PS four. It's on now. Eh. I mean, with all the Marvel movies being successful, I guess that's kind of a cash in. I don't know. I, I personally don't see why that ever came out. Resident Evil five. Uh, we've got, uh, the dead Island collection. This one, I actually have a couple problems with one, this game, the first one was okay. Second one sucked. And they put both games together on the PS4 version. The second game, Riptide, is a DLC code. They don't actually even physically have both games on the disc. Really, really strange stuff. But anyway, Dead Island, like, it, the first one was really popular because that trailer that everyone loved came out of nowhere. And you were like, whoa, what the hell is this game? I can't wait. And then it came out, and the game was fine enough. I actually liked Dead Island. It was fun. It was a four-player co-op kind of, like, open-world zombie game. Really good. Those guys went on to make Dying Light, which is an incredible zombie game. Uh, and then Riptide was done by a, a different studio, so they're, you know, it's not great. And I don't, I don't really see what they, why they had to remake this game. You know, it wasn't like there was an outpouring of fan support for a new Dead Island game, right? Um, and then you have, let's see, you've got um, Resident Evil Zero. We talked about that one. Final Fantasy VII. This was an interesting one. I'm not talking about the the remake they're they're working on right now. I'm talking about they actually released the original version of Final Fantasy VII. They released it on Steam, and then it came to PS4. And, uh, I mean, Final Fantasy VII is an, an epic. It, 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 it's going down in history. is one of the best RPGs of all time. This one was cleaned up a little bit. They added some stuff. Like, they added, uh, you can add cheat menus to the game, and they added, like, speeding up combat and stuff like that to it, which I like little things like that. I think they released it for f 10 or $15, you know? It's, it is what it is. Yeah, no problem there, I guess, really. It, it, it's, it's a great game. They cleaned it up a little bit, so it's not so jagged, you know, smooth, a little bit of smooth edging. Uh, Beyond Two Souls is another one on the list. I talked about that with Heavy Rain. Deadpool, this is an interesting one because the Deadpool game came out. It got decent reviews and people liked it. And then it was fading into obscurity. And all of a sudden, the Deadpool movie comes out. And clearly, <laughs> they were like, oh, we got to re-release this game because people will buy it again. So I understand more why they did that one. But I want to say the remaster of that was, I think, 40 or 50 bucks. And the original game, I think, was only a $50 game at launch or something. Like, it was really weird. I remember thinking, like, it's still too expensive for a port, essentially. But it came out for that reason. The game was almost, like, two years too early. And then the game comes out, movie comes out, like, brings all this Deadpool hype along with it. And then the game finds more success in the console. Uh, one that made no sense to me at all whatsoever was Darksiders 2. Got a, a remaster, and the name is as stupid as the idea of bringing this game out. Uh, the Definitive Edition, like Death-inative. It's really stupid. Uh, but to be fair, THQ went out of business. The company that bought 
THQ, well, bought the rights to them and then bought the Darksiders IP is Nordic. Now they're known as THQ Nordic. Those guys were trying to use their properties to fund future development, which we now know Darksiders 3 is being worked on. So maybe they released this as a gauge to see who's interested. I don't remember the price on this one. I want to say it was 30 or 40, though. I, I feel like it was a little out of my, what I found to be like fair, especially when you can get the game used for six or seven bucks on my, at my store for seven bucks, uh, you know, for, you know, all day, every day, uh, for PS4, they did a God of War three remaster. <laughs> Not quite sure why. Uh, I liked God of three, just fine. Uh, God of War three, just fine, but I don't understand why this existed. And that was $40 also. And I don't see how they sold that for $40. When again, you can get on PS3 for five bucks used, um, gears of war ultimate edition, little different because they did almost redraw the whole thing. They really cleaned it up, took it in a different direction. I really liked it. Um, it's completely rebuilt as opposed to just being like, Oh, we took these, we, we did a, a, a high render texture swap on this one. Uh, let's see. Yeah. We talked about dishonored already. Uh, really it, it just a quote unquote visual upgrade is all it had. Um, the uncharted collection. I talked a little bit about that. Uh, it has three games in one. So I'm all about that. I'm all about collections coming out. I think that's great. I just had an issue with them releasing games individually for full price. Uh, Dark Souls 2, I covered that a little bit. Um, Final Fantasy X, X2 remaster. This was a little frustrating to me because they released it on PS3. Okay, it came out on PS2. They did a remaster for PS3. Then they do that same remaster for PS4 and then for Vita. And you're like, well, why are we milking this game so hard? It, you know, it just kind of felt off. And that one, I believe, was also like a $30 or $40 game. I don't I don't think that was $20. $20 ones will get a pass from me all day because I, I have no problem with that. Uh, Devil May Cry 4, they re-released the special edition of that. Uh, but Capcom, again, wasn't making too big of a deal out of that. Prototype. Uh, they did a, a two-pack of Prototype. And as far as I'm concerned, nobody liked the second game. And the first game was was kind of a cult hit that gained some steam after release prototype one fine game. Uh, it's whatever. I still prefer infamous. They were, they came out around the same time and infamous was in my opinion, just a better open world disaster game. I guess you would say, um, no one asked for prototype two. Um, and we got it. And then no one asked for this two pack and we got it. Um, you know, what, what's special there? Saints row four love the game, but then they had a reelected version. So that was really just, you know, that, that was just them trying to uh, to squeeze out, uh, you know, get their game on another platform. I, I don't remember the cost of that one either. Uh, Devil May Cry DMC did a definitive dig, uh, edition as well. That was, I believe, only 20 bucks. Like, the DMC remakes were 20 bucks each. Again, Capcom, like, you can remake your whole library for 20 bucks, and I'm, I'm down with that. Um, and then we had Borderlands The Handsome Collection come out. Again, that was like a, a – was that a two-pack or a three? I think it was a two-pack. It had uh, Borderlands 2 and Borderlands pre-sequel. So that was cool. I'm, I'm cool with getting two games, and I think that was $49.99 or so when it came out. So you're getting two games. Again, I'm okay with stuff like that. Like, I'm not trying to abuse companies that want to, like, re-release their games and, like, get them out to us. But some of these just don't make sense, and some are way high-priced. Uh, talked about Halo. Talked about GTA V. Um, I don't know. I'm not going to go through the rest of these. But there, there were just, like, I'm, I'm trying to think, like, Diablo 3, they released that as the ultimate evil edition so it included the expansion pack for diablo 3 and it was coming you know i don't know i guess it's fine metro redo was both metro games coming out at the same time so anyway i'll i'm i'm done going through this list because there's a whole bunch more i don't care the Ezio collection for assassin's creed three games in one so anyway my whole point with all that i'll just stop my rambling now but like my whole point with all that is 
remasters aren't necessarily a bad thing, and I'm not dogging on remasters, but I am dogging on them taking advantage of us as customers. And they're they're playing off our nostalgia. They're playing off of our old, good, happy memories as opposed to trying to build us new memories. So one of the arguments about L.A. Noir I could make is, is this taking away development resources and time from people who could be working on Red Dead Redemption 2? We know it's coming. We just don't know when. Probably not coming. We knew it wasn't coming this year, late late next year probably, and then maybe even delayed to 2019. Who knows? But is it taking away from that? that that's my question. And we don't know, but is it i you have to assume somebody who is connected to all those projects has to split his time or her time and if they do that is one of the projects taking longer than it should i don't know couldn't say uh so that's my problem but rematch this is getting out of control charging 60 bucks for a, a remake or a remaster of an older game don't care what you do to it i feel is out of bounds unless you're completely redrawing the game from ground up like if you took and you made like a retelling kind of like well, Ratchet and Clank, but say like Silent Hill, they did Silent Hill Shattered Memories. That was essentially a remake of the first Silent Hill, but it was like a whole new game, like a retelling of the first one. Well, you can charge full price for that because it's a completely built from the bottom up game again, as opposed to something like Skyrim. Oh man. And that game sold a ton at 60 bucks. People still come in and buy the crap out of it. And I just, and I, and people will come into the store and tell me, Hey, I put a hundred hours into Skyrim and I'm going to buy the remaster. I'm like, okay, but Oh, what sucks is I'm not mad at them for doing it. They love the game. I'm mad at these companies that know how much we love their products, and then they just squeeze us for just a little bit more. Ah, it just drives me crazy. I had to pop on late Sunday night after a long day of enjoying football and just got back from watching the movie It, which was excellent. Um, but the story started blowing up a couple hours ago, and I just didn't want to wait on it. Had some thoughts on it, wanted to kick it out. And, uh, so if you haven't heard or you haven't seen it around, uh, the, you know, the world's largest YouTuber, PewDiePie himself, or Felix is his first name. Um, he was doing a player unknown battleground stream. And apparently as he was attempting to kill somebody, the person he was attempting to kill killed his teammate who was knocked out on the ground. And he just called, he just drops the N bomb, quote unquote, you know, he, he says the N word, which uh, I, I won't even in the proper context to share it here. I don't use that word. Uh, I refuse to. Uh, and obviously you can watch the video and, and hear it and see it for yourself. Uh, I'm not going to link to it. I, I think it's pretty awful what it is. Um, and at first, you know, you hear this sort of thing and your mind goes a lot of places. Like at first you're like, you know, what kind of piece of garbage is this guy? And, and I know a lot of people maybe. He's a, he's a huge YouTuber, so a lot of people obviously love him, right? Well, I, I'm not one of those people, and I have no problem saying this. And even if I would lose subscribers or lose views and have people just bash the hell out of me, that's fine. Because I, I, I personally have no like whatsoever for this this person. And I think he's a quote-unquote shock jock on YouTube. He says things sometimes that he knows are controversial just to get people stirring and talking about him. Uh, a few months ago or a while back, he, uh, he made a bunch of the... Uh, he did the Fiverr thing where he had people holding up signs that said death to all Jews. And then later when there was an uproar about that, he made another video with him, like, you know, bowing and, and, and talking in front of swastikas and all, all this other nonsense. Right. So the guy's just a, just a, a shock jock at, but the worst version of it, we're just doing a bunch of stupid crap to try to get people to, you know, shock people into views. Again, that's his character, whatever. I, I, I have no interest in that. Uh, and if you do, that's fine. I don't care if you get your entertainment that way. Uh, and, and so you ask yourself though, like, is he stepping over the line with this one? Like, like, is this the one finally that, uh, that that's going to destroy him? You know, is this the one that whatever, 
that's the first thing you start to think. And, and I don't think so. You know, he'll have enough fans that like his content that won't think it's that big of a deal. And I think there's a lot of layers to this. And that's what I kind of want to make a video about. But there's a, you have, I mean, he, it basically, this is not anything out of the norm for him. He's in fact used that word before on streams. He's used them in videos. Uh, so it's not anything new. But the problem is, is that people still continue to watch him. And I think that he's he's damaging what we like to use as YouTube as a source of entertainment in general. And what you might, you know, not know is that, uh, or you may, if you've heard a lot of the YouTubers complaining about it, is that there's a lot of this demonetization of videos now, where if they deem content is inappropriate, they will demonetize videos. Now, a lot of this came up because the advertisers are going to Google and saying, you know, we want to have a say where our content goes. And we don't want you to put our car commercial that's aimed towards these people on a video where someone's saying a ton of racial slurs on it. Makes total sense. I mean, advertising, you have to understand, you know, advertising, uh, they don't want their product associated with people that may be negative that way because people will put the two together. And you see this a lot. You see this a lot with um, like conservative talk radio when there's a big uproar about somebody there, you'll see a call for a boycott of them and they'll lose advertisers because the advertisers say, well, the money we're paying and the money we're making off this isn't worth the negative backlash we're getting from everybody else. And so you have to un you have to be a part of those advertisers. You or the you have to understand the advertisers are can walk at any minute. And it's not a free speech sort of thing. A lot of people misunderstand what free speech is and the First Amendment basically states that you cannot be persecuted by the government for what you say. It doesn't mean you're not responsible for what you say, and it doesn't mean that there are no consequences for what you say. In fact, as PewDiePie found out a few months ago, Disney dropped him as like a, a sponsor or whatever he was to them. They dropped him because of what he was doing, and that wasn't a First Amendment issue. They were saying, look, man, you're trouble, and we don't want trouble, and we'll see you later. It's why you could probably argue that uh, Colin Kaepernick's not on an NFL football team right now if you watch sports at all. Um, it's not necessarily that he's not a good quarterback. I think he's talented enough to be on a roster somewhere, but he has a lot of baggage that comes with him now. Now, how you feel about the subject, whether you think he's right or not, is kind of irrelevant. It's just that with him comes a lot of extra stuff beyond the play. So advertisers look at someone like PewDiePie the same way and say, you know what? He has a lot of views. He could make us some money, but it's not worth the extra that comes with it whether it's positive or negative, uh, whether you feel positive or negative about it, I should say. It's just the truth. They look at it in negative light. So he goes on this, you know, he's just playing a stream. He does it. You could tell he knows he messed up. If you watch the video, he knows he screwed up by saying it right away. He, he kind of backtracks a little bit and tries to, like, brush it off. And then he just says whatever and, and he just goes with it. So he's awful. Um, <laughs> and he says stupid stuff like that. What I also hate a lot about this in particular is that this is also feeding a very negative like um trend that i've been seeing online for many many years and you'd like to think over time these trends would go away and they don't you know it you could argue it started with the x you know the xbox crowd um the xbox live crowd where you know people always talk about how you have eight-year-olds saying the n-word and and dropping f-bombs and and cursing you out and saying they're gonna do things to your mom and all these other things um so you hear all these things, and for some reason on the internet, the N-word has become like this new insult, and apparently anybody can use it. Like a 10-year-old a, a white kid will say it to a 12-year-old Chinese kid, and it's like it's, it's, it's lost its original meaning to them. And so it's not, it's not about demeaning a black person at that point. It's just demeaning anybody using this word. 
and which is awful. So you'd like to think as we grow and as the internet becomes more popular that we would like get out of certain trends. This trend has been sticking around forever and it's perpetuated by people like Felix. So he, he, he decides to use it and that makes it okay for other people to use it because he used it. And that's very upsetting to me. You'll hear me say this a lot if you ever listen to my videos or if you ever listen to my podcast. We need to be better than this. You know, we, we are better people than this. And you, you can't continue to support somebody who's going to say things like this. And so really the story, though, and I just spent seven minutes talking about him as a horrible human being. The real story I want to talk about was that uh, the developer of Firewatch, so um, from Campo Santo, uh, his name is, sorry, I just had it here. Um, oh, I just totally lost it. Okay, it doesn't matter. Um, anyway, so he comes out and says, uh, let's see here. I want to get the exact quote right. There is a, uh, this is a quote. There's a bit of leeway you have with the internet when you wake up every day and make video games. There's also a breaking point. I am sick of this child getting more and more chances to make money off of what we make. He goes on to say, he's worse than a closeted racist. He's a propagator of despicable garbage that does real damage to the culture around this industry. I'd urge other developers, and we'll be reaching out to folks much larger than us, to cut him off from the content that has made him a millionaire. Furthermore, we're complicit. I'm sure we've made money off of the 5.7 million views that video has, and that's something for us to think about. End quote. So what the developer, uh, Vanneman, from Campo Santo is saying is that they're perpetuating this a little bit themselves because they're also making money off of PewDiePie's videos. People watch this video, they buy their game. They're a part of the problem. He's fully admitting that. So he, let's see, I want to get this right. Um, so this is something that uh, Felix has said before in response when people are getting way out of control. He says, I was trying to show how crazy the modern world is, specifically some of the services available online. I picked something that seemed absurd to me, that people on Fiverr would say anything for $5. I think it's important to say something that I want to make one thing clear. I am in no way supporting any kind of hateful attitudes. Continuing on, he said, I make videos for my audience. I think of the content that I create as entertainment and not a place for any serious political commentary. I know my audience understands that, and this is why they come to my channel. Though this is not my intention, I understand that these jokes were ultimately offensive. End quote. So that was him talking about the controversy with the the anti-Semitic, like the, uh, you know, death to all Jews, like that whole thing. So that was his, that was his apology, I guess you would call it for that. So what the real point of this video that I wanted to get to, though, was um, the guy from Campto Santo, Sean Vanneman is his name, has decided that they're going to file the DMCA takedown of PewDiePie's Firewatch content and any future Campo Santo games. So what he's saying is they're basically going to weaponize the DMCA takedown. Now, if you're not familiar with it, exactly what it is, basically the Digital Millennial Copyright Act was designed so that, say, I make a video like this one, and tomorrow you take this video and you just upload it again, and you're like, hey, I can make money off this video too. And then I can put a claim against you and say, hey, man, you stole my content. I want that content back, or I want to make money off of your content that's getting your, your video since it's my content to begin with. So that's the idea. So the way that 
Sean Veneman wants to use this essentially is using it as a weapon to to mute Felix. And so I have to be honest here, as much as I don't like PewDiePie, I never have, I never probably will, this is not a good thing either. Like there's got to be a better way to go after him and for him to stop monetizing or getting money off of your videos without doing this. Because what I fear is that this is a slippery slope. So you start to you know, you're able to take videos down only of the people that you don't like necessarily. So if you leave all your Firewatch videos up from, say, me and other people on the internet, but because Felix said the N-word, you want to take his videos down, how can you justify taking down his videos and not taking down mine? Because the DMCA is not about taking things down you don't like. It's about, you know, not letting people monetize your copyrighted material. And so I, I worry that this would also lead then into the slippery slope part means, are we going to then have developers only getting rid of people that say bad things about their game? What if we all did game reviews and 2% of us give the game a good review because we don't care or because they liked it, those videos get to stay up and everybody else who criticized the game, they file a DMCA takedown against your game. Now, that that's all bad. That's bad for everybody on YouTube. That's bad for people who just watch YouTube. It's bad for people who create content for YouTube. It's bad for everybody. And I think it's fair to say, Jim Sterling tweeted this out earlier, how bad PewDiePie is for the industry as a whole right now. And I think he's correct. Because of him being the largest one, can you imagine this sort of controversy comes up? And then you've got Google going to major, major advertisers. And they said, you know what? We just don't like this whole, like your number one content guy, like your number one subscriber on, you know, person who has the most subscribers on YouTube. This guy's dropping N-bombs and he's controversial all the time. Like we don't want to deal with that. And they won't. And so he could. And, and as you can't deny that PewDiePie has gained a lot of popularity and in doing so has helped a lot of people on YouTube. He's helped YouTube grow as a platform. So if he's done that, just as much as he's helped do that in the past, this sort of stuff is hurting that platform now. And so um, I'm going to wrap this up pretty quick, but I guess you really have to ask yourself, like, although he is a, I honestly just think he's a pretty horrible person. I think he does these things for laughs and doesn't care who he hurts. And then later tries to be like, well, I didn't mean it. It's, it's just, you know, no big deal. I didn't mean it. And, and getting into that a little bit, I think you have to take certain things into consideration. And part of it is intent. Right. So let's talk about when he was uh, doing all the anti-Semitic stuff a few months ago. The first one was, again, as we said in that quote, it was a it was like a website or, or an app called Fiverr. I don't know. I don't use it. And basically what you do is you can ask people to do things and you'll give them like money for doing it. It's supposed to be ridiculous. And his point was, I can make these people do something in completely ridiculous for a very small amount of money. And he did. For whatever reason, he chose to have it be something like death to all the Jews. It was something really stupid and, and obscene, but that's what he chose. And it was to prove that. Now that was clearly from the beginning, that was meant to be a joke, a very tasteless and horrible and stupid joke, but a joke all the same. And so then when he, when there was a big uproar about that, and then he does a video on his channel where he's wearing like a Nazi soldier uniform, again, he's not doing that to, to make people hate Jewish people, right? So, so there's a little bit about intention and his intention from that, I don't believe was to do that. I think it was just, he was again, then trying to poke fun at it when he needed to back off and be apologetic and he didn't. So then you go forward to this video though, and I watched it and you can tell like he used that word in, in an anger way. He wasn't doing it to, 
like he wasn't doing it on purpose to try to get a rise out of people. He wasn't doing it as like a gag. He was doing it because that word for some reason is in his vocabulary to say that about someone who he does not like in a video game. End of story. So if that's if that's his deal, there the, the intent there was to do exactly what he did, and he looks terrible for doing it. And so now again, he once again, he's brought all this negative attention to YouTube and negative attention to other people trying to make it on YouTube. And this is the sort of thing that makes YouTube or Google change policies on monetization and change because you've got people like this that advertisers don't want anything to do with. And it's unfortunate, it's sad, but it's true. And so now you've got all these other people that rely on this as a as a main form of, well, anything, I guess, you know, their, their entire income. And they struggle with that. So that's why you've seen so many content creators go the way of Patreon and, and streaming for donations and stuff like that because YouTube had to change because Google was having issues with advertisers. And that's really what it came down to. So then you've got all these people, and you see this lately, you see a lot of people complaining about, well, they demonetize my videos. Well, that happened because you had people that were just saying whatever they wanted to and not thinking about the future. Now, again, they gave him a platform. He used it to say what he wanted to say, but he needs to be smarter than that. Like he used his popularity. He got high enough as he did. And now that he's up there, now he just takes it for granted and essentially doesn't care what the future of the platform is. And he's probably going to be fine. He's got enough money to last him forever, probably. But that doesn't mean that the other people that want to do this for a living are going to be fine. So it's a little frustrating. Um, and I guess, you know, I'm just kind of like, I'm, I'm, I'm over it. You know, I've never liked this guy. I've never liked watching his videos. And I hate to say, like, what he did was awful. And I wish I could totally agree with the developers going against him. But I have to say that that's awful, too. And as as much as I understand Sean Vanneman, like, he he's pissed, man. He doesn't want to deal with YouTubers who act like this. He's clearly offended by this. You know, but to go after him by using DMCA's, like I think there's a better way to do it. Can't you, can't you put like a file a restraining order or or a, get a court injunction saying you can't release videos based on my content because I don't like how the words you use and stuff like that. Like it's it's hurting my business by you using bad words, stuff like that. Like you'd think there'd be a way that they could send like a cease and desist letter or something like that. The DMCA weaponization is a bad idea, and it's gonna it's gonna lead to developers having an opinion on something that may not be as on the high road as Sean is. They might just be like, you know what? We're trying to make a bunch of money. This guy said our game sucks. We're going to take his video down. But the other guy said our game was good, so we'll leave those up. And, and so it's just not, it's not a good idea, I don't think, to monetize that, to weaponize, excuse me, to weaponize that, not to monetize it, to weaponize the DMCA. It's not meant for that. And so, again, he has to think of a better way to attack this. You know, and I like what he's saying, though. I like that he says that he could get together with other developers and publishers. Let's come together and let's just put this guy in lockdown. Say, if he wants to play our games, he can buy them, but he will not get any free stuff from us. We won't advertise for him, you know, and just be like, if he wants to talk about our games, he can, but we're, we're, we're blacklisting him from any sort of co-opting us. And once you start to f roll that, you get the big guys on board, that'll put a dent in his income. And once you start to see a dent like that, that will make people shape up. If anything will make people shape up, it's messing with their money. And so I guess the last thing I'll say about this then, to get a little bit back to what I was saying a little bit in the beginning, to preach a little bit about it, but like the use of certain words, like the N-word as, as a derogatory term towards anybody on the internet is incredibly offensive. And like, we have to be better than that. <clears throat> Excuse me. We just, we are better than that, you know? And I guarantee there's people that, 
use that word that aren't racist. And I know it's going to sound stupid because you're thinking if someone uses that word, they're racist. I, I don't believe that. I believe that people use that word out of anger and like out of rage because it's just a word that for some reason is ingrained in their brain. And so you have to you have to think like, why is it? And then you go to people like the largest YouTuber is dropping it on his streams like it's no big deal. And of course, if there's a 12 year old kid watching that who thinks PewDiePie is funny and PewDiePie did it, he's going to do it, too. I mean, that's just it, people are impressionable. And it's really unfortunate. Like, we have to be better than that. And and I understand there's 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 free speech as far as uh, you're allowed to say what you want to say. But we have to understand you have a you have a responsibility for that, you know, and, and you if people look up to you just like sports stars, you know, like they, people, they often argue if they do something wrong, like, you know, I never asked to be a role model. Well, you're right, you didn't. But when you signed up to do what you do, you became a role model. And I just wish that people like him would take that seriously. And I, he could come out tomorrow and tell people on his channel, like, hey, you know what? I screwed up. Don't use that word anymore. We need to come out and not use that word anymore. He could rally people and he could make a difference and people wouldn't use that word anymore. You know, it's it's like, and I know it's not a football analogy, but like J.J. Watt, you know, he used his influence to say, hey, the people of Texas need money. Can we help them out? And he raised $30 million just because his influence reached so many people that wanted to help. You know, and so PewDiePie has influence. And right now his influence, he's using it to spread hate and awful garbage as opposed to using it when he could use it to fix a problem like that. And unfortunately, he's part of the problem. And you know what you know, I really hate about it is he's not even American. So he has no understanding and no, no, no groundwork for the usage of that word here. And I'm not saying they don't use that word in other parts of the world. That that word is it's it's hatred in this world derives from its usage here so it's not like he grew up around it or he grew up using it and he should have no real connection to this word except for maybe he, when he was young he heard people using it on the internet okay so it's that's your choice then i guess i guess you get to choose do you want to perpetuate the cycle or do you want to break the cycle and he's just making it worse and, and it's just really disappointing to me. Again, we can be better than that. Everyone listening here, I hope you hear this. I hope you know we can be better than this. And I hope we all strive to be. All right. And with that being said, everybody, uh, this is live Greg back. Uh, I appreciate you listening to the podcast. Sorry it was kind of strange the way I, I did that. But um, I, I didn't want to just like re-say the exact same things over again. Uh, I don't plan on that happening. I don't really expect a lot of huge stories to always be breaking outside the podcast. I feel like I have to get on the minute they go. Um but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, I, obviously, as always, I appreciate any comments that you guys have, and I appreciate everyone always for listening. Please follow me on Twitter at DropRateGreg. Uh, if you go to DropRate.life, that is the link that will take you to our YouTube channel. But uh, if you find us on, on YouTube, uh, DropRate, we just hit over 200 subs, which is in six months we had over 200 subs. And I'm very happy about that. I feel like this is like the one time I'm, I'm finally like making this happen. Um so that makes me feel really good. You know, I've, I've always felt like I wanted to share my information with everybody, and, and I'm glad it's working out. So, uh, again, thank you, everybody, for watching, listening, subscribing, sharing, anything you do. It always helps. Um, so it's much appreciated. Uh, you all have a great day.